Let's go to Romans chapter 12 this evening. Very grateful for the opportunity to share these Bible studies with you. As we talk about being challenged, uh, this is the theme of, Jan- of July, and I'm very grateful to be challenged with eternity in view. In the mornings, we're looking at the book of Luke in chapter 12, and there's plenty of challenge there not to be overcome with fear, not to be overcome with uh, covetousness is what we talked about this morning. But in the book of Romans, in chapter 12, it speaks of the service that we render to the Lord and relationships. If we look at the uh, book of Romans, we see that it begins with the first three chapters that God introduces us to our problem, and that's sin. Four and five, he talks about salvation, how we can have salvation by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing. Six, seven, and eight talk about the sanctification process, overcoming sin, and having the victorious Christian life through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, specifically in chapter eight. Chapter nine, 10, 11, very wonderful passages of scripture, but speaking to the sovereignty of God in relation to his people, the people of Israel. It talks about the suffering and the sorrow that Apostle Paul, he said, I wish myself to be accursed if my own people would come to know the Lord. They were, they were elected, they were chosen by the Lord to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. But, chapter 10, they rejected it. However, God made a way that whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they hear? They don't have a preacher. And uh, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Then chapter 11 speaks of the worship that the apostle Paul has because Israel will one day receive their Messiah. And it talks about God's sovereignty I heard a quote about uh, Charles Spurgeon, and he said, what do you, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty and man's responsibility? He said, no, there's no need to reconcile friends. <laughs> they already go together. And God, God is, he, everything starts with God. And I think it's very good for us to understand that. And we have responsibility to obey the Lord and submit to him. And there's a lot of things you don't understand about God. Get over it. You'll never understand everything about God. And every once in a while you find someone who feels like they can understand everything, every reason for pain and suffering and all that God does. And I just don't think they're looking at the same God of the Bible because his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts and our thoughts. That's the kind of God we have. Then chapter 12 through chapter 16 and chapter 15 in particular, 16 is a little bit of a closing uh, to the book, but he talks about a relationship. First of all, with God beseeching, you, brethren, that you present yourself a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. And uh, proving what that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Speaking to us, he talks about, first of all, our relationship with God. Number two, with ourself. Verse number three, that we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And then it talks about a relationship with one another in the, in the house of God, the church. That's where those gifts are going to be unveiled that we're going to talk about this evening. Then he talks about a relationship with our enemies at the rest of the chapter. The Bible says, don't, vengeance is mine, I will pay, saith the Lord. And uh, he said, if you got, you got an enemy, don't, don't, uh, don't, don't, don't curse them. Don't, don't spend your time focused on them. He said, I got that figured out. He said, he teaches how a relationship to have God with ourself, uh, certainly with the church family and those I'm working with in cooperation with our enemies. Chapter 13 is our relationship to government powers. That's where, you know, submit yourselves to every, every powers that be and, and talks about chapter 13. And then to other people in general that I would have opportunities to work with, and that is chapter 14 and 15. 
it even tells me in chapter 14, how do I know if I should do something that may be a little questionable? You know, what do I do in some, in some situation where it's not necessarily sin, I don't think, but, it, but it, is it the best thing or is it a questionable thing? And the Bible gives that stop principle in chapter 14. Before I would do something, go someplace, do something on vacation, take a picture and post it on, on Facebook. Before I would do anything that could be hurtful to another person, I would stop and say, first of all, could what I'm going to do be a stumbling block to another brother or sister? Could what I do, taking my liberties to do whatever I want to do, could it be a stumbling block to another brother or sister? Number two, what I'm choosing to do or go or participate in or wear or listen to or, or do, could it hurt the testimony of Christ, my family, my local church? Could it hurt the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ, my, my family, my local church? Number one, stop. S, could it be a stumbling block? T, could it be a hurtful to the testimony of Christ? O, is it something that others... There's another person in my life that has a higher standard that I need to consider them. The Bible says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And there are some things that, you know, there may be folks, and I have friends who, who do not want a television in their house. And I think that's perfectly fine. Matter of fact, I applaud them. But if, if, if I'm invited in the house and I have a television in my basement that we... we periodically look at but not very often but but if i if i had a television and i know that's an offense to them and their family well i certainly wouldn't want to turn it on when they're in my house and i may even want to remove it so it's not an offense to their children to them why because they're my brother they're my sister and i don't want to take my personal liberties to offend another brother or sister and then p i must be fully persuaded in my own heart and mind that what I'm going to do is not an offense toward God or an offense toward others that I could do. And I think that's a good thought. And, of course, God's going to tell us in chapter 15, you who are strong in the faith and you've got a weak person around you, receive them, but not to doubtful disputations. You don't want to do something that, you know, there's people that don't cross their T's and dot their I's the same way you do or maybe I would do. And they may not have the same standards of holiness that we believe that God wants us to do. He said, but you may not be able to enjoy the, the perfect fellowship, but you can receive them, but not to arguments and endless arguments. It's not, it's, not, it's not worth it. You've got one person to please, and that's the Lord. And we all must stand before God ourselves, and that's the, that's the teaching of the book of Romans. But as we look at the book of Romans right now tonight, we're continuing on being challenged on what our spiritual positions are. First of all, I want to present myself to God. Number two, I want to make sure I'm not conformed to this world. I'm separated unto God. I'm clean and acceptable to the Lord, which is the reasonable thing for me to do. Then, I, not, I don't want to be conformed. I want to be transformed in my thinking. I want to think differently. The longer you're saved and the more that Christ matters to you, the more your thinking process should be different. God wants to be different. Because we're constantly evaluating what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen, you don't want to do what you want to do. You might want to do it, but you will not like the end result. You want to do the will of God. If you had your choice, if you knew everything that God has for your end, you would choose the will of God today. He said, if that's true, then do it. 
Whatever God wants you to do, do it. Don't let fear, don't let doubt keep you from doing what God wants you to do. He, his ways are perfect. There's a way that seems right to me, but the end of the ways of death. And you only have one life to live for the Lord. Make sure you do the will of God. Someone said, you want to have a happy person? Find out someone who knows what God wants them to do, and they do it. You'll find a happy person. Watch them all the way through. I encourage you, young men, young ladies, uh, older men, middle-aged, watch people who do the right thing, the right way, for the right reason for a lifetime. Watch them finish their life. And that's how you will want to be. Study some other folks with not criticism, but evaluate people who just kind of get upset about something and quit. Get offended over what something God did, took away from them or God didn't give them and quit. Watch what happens. You will not want that kind of life. You will want that good and acceptable. But when we understand our presentation, our responsibility, the illumination God has for us, then we want to humble ourselves and not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. But to think soberly, why did God put me on the planet? What's he want me to do with my life? That's very different than every, everyone else in the world. Who you will marry would be different than who I would marry. Uh, where you will serve God is very different. Your role in Christianity would be very different than anyone else on the planet. And that's where I believe the will of God is very generic. The, the, the plan of God is very customized to you. But the way you find the customized plan for your life is by being in the will of God for your life. Hey, Pastor, what's the will of God for my life? Well, number one, make sure you're saved. Number two, if you're saved, be soul conscious. I had a young man ask me this week, and they said, they said Pastor, you, 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 you have lots of pressure seemingly, and you've got some opportunities, and you have some difficult things, and People, you know, have a lot of expectations for you. What kind of keeps you going and gives you strength? And I don't know exactly all that is, and, but I will tell you this, and I'm not the greatest example of this, but I'll tell you what really encourages me is that when you lead someone to Christ and you help someone grow in Christ, and individually, the Bible says when you go forth bearing precious seeds of the Word of God, he said you'll doubtless come again with rejoicing. There's joy. In that. And then he says, I have no greater joy than when the people that you help usher into the kingdom of God with the Holy Spirit, with soul winning, walk in truth. You know, and, and Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is our, what can keep you going on difficult times? The joy of the Lord. And joy comes when you start and stay, maintain. Say, God, just help me to help somebody grow in the Lord. Help me to lead and love someone to Jesus Christ. There's great joy in that, in that way because God has a role for you. Well, we find here in the passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, says now, we're many members, we're one body with many members, and everyone has a member in particular. You have a different role that you play. And then he's introduced us to seven spiritual gifts. Now, the gifts are mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and here in Romans chapter 12. There are multiple gifts, and of course, the gift of, of pastors and, and teachers and, and, uh, and, and evangelists. You have that, that list in Ephesians chapter 4. You have 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and this is in context before the scriptures came. And I think there was a cessation of some gifts. Some people disagree with that. I, I don't. I feel like that once the word of God has come, a lot of those early 
um, apostolic gifts and gifts in the first century without the Bible were very active. Now, there's no more needed because we do have a completed copy of God's Word. However, I do believe these seven gifts found in Romans chapter 12 are very applicable today. Now, I'll just tell you this to you. I think you can live the Christian life fairly effectively without knowing your strengths or with knowing your gifts. But I do think it's important and helpful if you know your strengths and you evaluate someone else through their strengths. When you know your spiritual gifts and you understand yours and your strength that God made you good at, and by the way, there are some people that have, they might even have five of the seven that are really strong or apparently strong. And some of you are that way. But I think you ought to, you ought to thrive in one of these at least and, and strive for all of them. You can't just say, well, I'm just good at this, so this is my only thing. But I will tell you, you usually see Christianity through your strong suit. And he's going to introduce seven different gifts, and we've talked about two of them in, 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 in somewhat extensively already, and we're going to go to the third and possibly the fourth one tonight to talk a little bit about those two. But I do believe it's important for you to do it because there's three outcomes. Number one, you learn to assimilate yourself into the body of Christ. You learn what you're good at and what other people are good at. Number two, you learn to appreciate your brothers and sisters. Sometimes when you have a strong suit uh, and that God has given you or a gift, you kind of un- you misunderstand other people in the body. But an eyeball, an eyelid is not made to walk on. A, fo- a foot is made to walk. That's what you use your foot for. You wouldn't want to... You know, you, 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 your, your liver, your pancreas, they're not made to be, to be put on the end of your hand. They wouldn't be any very good there. But where they are is where God put them in the body. And you need to appreciate them. So well, I don't care about my pancreas. Well, uh, you will not live very long if you don't care about that. There, there's, God puts it together. And he's put us together in, in the body. And so understanding each other allows me to appreciate my brothers and sisters in Christ. And then thirdly, it, it, it challenges me to associate, to get involved and to work together and cooperate with God's people. With that in mind, let's begin re- looking at verse number six again, where Preston began reading for us just a moment ago. Romans chapter number 12 and verse number six. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Our first gift we talked about today is the gift of prophecy. And that is the foretelling, the passionate about getting the truth out. These are usually great soul winners. They are people who are very sensitive to uh, any kind of error. They, they they're, they're pick up on things of that nature. Usually prophets feel themselves, and I think they're usually under the gifts of the Holy Spirit of God, can usually size up someone pretty quick good or bad, someone you can trust, someone you can't trust. It's just a gift that God gives the people, and they're discerning people, and the church needs them. It's a lonely gift, and one that sometimes is not easy to have and not easy to appreciate, but it's very needful in the house of God. And I think Peter would be, in, would be a good testimony of someone who had that gift. The second gift we talked about was the gift of helping or serving. My personal opinion is many of us, more of us, have this gift than, than many others. God made more of Indians than he made chiefs. And many of us have this gift of serving. And our, our, our goals of our meeting, usually a servant is someone who meets practical needs. He frees others to achieve what God's called them to do. 
Um, there are people who don't necessarily make a good thing, but they make a good thing better, and they, they need authority. A servant is someone who needs someone to give direction. They submit themselves to authority so they can do what needs to be done. And every good team has a good coach. Every good, uh, good school has a good principal. Uh, every good classroom has a good teacher. But you also, in every one of those situations, every good army has a good general. You have to have someone in charge, but then you have to have people who will submit to the authority that is there. A good family can have a good, needs to have a good husband, a good father, and then they need to have a, uh, folks who would follow the leadership of, of, the, of the man in the home. These are things that God wants to do. But in servants, these, these are things, they meet practical needs. They find sometimes it difficult to say no. They just seem to like they keep taking on things, and that can be, a, that can be something that a servant has. And they usually disregard weariness. It just seems like they're like the Energizer Bunny. They just keep on working and working, and they get tired like other people when get tired, but they seem like that's not the big deal. The project, the, the, the work at hand is what needs to happen. And I think uh, if you look at this particular gift, one man, and there are many others in the Bible, but, but Timothy would probably be someone who would be like this. Uh, he, he did not want to be in charge. I'm confident of that. Paul said, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus. You know why? Because he didn't want to be the pastor at Ephesus. He had to be begged to stay there. He wanted to go where Paul went and just tell him what to do. He didn't want to be the one out in front. And I think oftentimes servants are that way. But tonight we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, about teaching. And then if we get to exhortation, we'll do that. Let's look, if we can, please, at teaching. Verse number 7. Or he that ministereth, on, let him wait on his ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. And I want to just talk to you a little bit about that. I think the teacher is someone uh, that God has given to be able to help uh, us understand truth. They see truth systematically. Usually someone who's gifted to teach, oftentimes is also gifted to write, to put things together. Um, I think a, a teacher in particular needs to validate information. Let's say that someone gets up and they say something, and it's just like it kind of hits you wrong. Most of us would say, well, that's all right, it's just pastor talking. But not the teacher. The teacher's writing down on the side of it a piece of notepaper. He's going to go look and Google it when he goes home. It's all he can do to keep from doing it on his phone right now. Because they want to validate. Is that true? I've never heard that before. That kind of hits me sideways. I don't know what's going on there. The teacher is someone who wants to validate truth. The teacher is someone who evaluates teachers. They're, while someone's teaching, they're, te they're thinking about that. They're thinking about, about what are his credentials and, and where did he get that from or what's happened. For most of us, we're just like, oh, that, that helped me, that helped me. The teacher's kind of a little bit more evaluated. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. I think also they present truth systematically. They break it down in an organized way. Teachers are, are known to do that. They gather facts. They like to know facts and, and, uh, and, and things, and they put them together there. They're usually very thorough people. Teachers who, who, uh, who take process, they're usually very thorough. They, they, they look and they do all their research. They're diligent in that way. They're uneasy with subjective truth. Uh, a teacher is challenged when, you know, someone goes, they like it when someone goes from scriptural truth to the teaching. They don't like it when someone comes up with an experience and finds a verse that meets that experience. 
And we can others say, you know, well, that's not, that's not always bad because it does sense a motivation. But a teacher likes to see things going from, from the scriptures out, not from experience in. Something they would maybe, maybe have a challenge. I think the book of Luke, the, the person Luke in the Bible, is probably a great example of that. Someone to, now, sometimes teachers are, are not, and, and this is not always the truth, so please understand this, they're not always the most interesting to listen to. That Some people say, oh, yeah, the gift of teaching, but no one has the gift to listen to you teach, <laughs> you know? But it's not always the case. There are people, and if they're well-prepared and they're organized, oftentimes folks can do PowerPoints and they can kind of do that. They have to overcome a little bit maybe of their, of their, of their, of their, their way of doing things to keep us entertained. But, but man, teachers are so valuable to the work of the Lord. They're extremely helpful to document and put things. How many are grateful if Luke had this particular, aren't you glad for the book of Luke and Acts? Oh, man, he put it in print. People like a John Phillips or a David Sorensen of our time. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was very, certainly, his writings continued on basically because of his wife. Uh, even though she was invalid, she would put it in print. She would put them out and get it together and organize those things. But many folks throughout history would have, uh, and even in this ministry, there are folks that can do, can, they, may not, they may have a hard time gathering a lot of people to listen to them, but they, they don't have a hard time putting truth in print and using materials and things of that nature to be a very help to people. And once again, I'm using some of these things in idiosyncrasies that are not absolutely true to everyone. But I'm giving you, I'm giving you the point. Now, in this, he says, if you've got teaching, well, teach. If I, now, he does, in each of these situations, gives them warnings or gives them admonition. We saw the prophet. If you're a prophet, you're king, you can discern people, you see something that's bad, and you, you speak out, they have a sense. A prophet almost always has a, um, a passion to verbalize how they feel. They, they, they feel like, I need, it. I, need to talk about, I need to talk about that. i got to get that out. That bothers me. Or this is not right. Let's take care of this. Usually a prophet is someone who is more soul conscious. They want to, they're passionate about truth. Well, the, the admonition is found in verse number 9. Let's read it together. Can we please? The Bible says in verse number 9, Let love be without, abhor that which is cleave to that which is. Well, here's the admonition. If you find yourself being a prophet, that's great. Spirit-filled prophets are huge to the work of the Lord. They're not as many, but they're, they're important. He said, look, stay balanced. Hate the evil. Don't stop that. But love the good and cleave to the good. And de- let your love be without dissimulation. Don't be a person who is, you can't, strife is your life. Where arguments, you, want, you can't find an argument you don't want to get involved with. So that's not real love. You know, we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love endeth not. It does not behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not his own. It's not easily what? Provoke. It thinketh no evil. It believeth all things. It hopeth all things. Endureth all things. He said, if you're a prophet, you might want to live in 1 Corinthians 13 and make love keep you from being a problem or a lightning rod for arguments. Love that which is evil. Hate the evil. Cleave to the good. To the servant. He says in verse number 10, let's look at that one. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor, referring one that we talked about that last week. Now to the teacher, verse 11. Would you read it with me, everyone? Here's the admonition, I believe, specifically to those who are gifted to teach. 
not slothful in, fervent in. Okay? Usually teachers love books. They love research. They have a computer. They have a laptop. They can type like no tomorrow. They like to do that. And, you know, they, they love to be around books and learning and growing and, and studying. But, you know, and that's not wrong. We Teachers have to have that. But he said, if that gift of teaching is yours, don't forget that you cannot be lazy in the work of the Lord. You must be engaged. Super Saturday soul winning is still for you. Uh, the bus route, you're not too big to get on the bus route. You're not, you're not, you're not too knowledgeable to get down with a little child and teach him. I tell you one of the most beautiful things, I remember my first two or three weeks here to be your pastor in 2013 in February. The first several weeks, I just walked around and saw Sunday school. I'll never forget this as long as I live, I don't think. I saw Dr. Jerry Smith with an earned doctor's degree sitting on a little chair with four little boys teaching them the Bible on a Sunday morning. I, I'll never forget it. I would see, I would see that, that man who, who taught so many thousands of college students sitting there with a the Bible open and these three little boys just looking at him, listening to his Bible story as he is sitting on a little chair, not at one of the big chairs, a little chair, and giving them the lesson that morning in the little cubicle on the second floor or third floor of this building. I thought, I thought that's it. That's the greatness of First Baptist Church. I walked to room after room and watched people with highlighted Sunday school lessons, studying the Bible and teaching people. Some were teaching 100 people, some were teaching six people. But whoever does the teaching does the learning. But I thought to myself, here's a guy who's a gifted teacher that is, that is, that is uh, not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit, keeping it fire, keeping fervent. Fervent is the word fever. Keeping, it, keeping your, your temperament and your, and your spirit hot about the things of God. Remember in Revelation, he said, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm. He said, keep your, your spirit fervent. Don't be a, in the mully grubs all the time. Keep a, keep a, if something's going on in church, uh, come and go in the work of God, there's something going on, get involved and be happy about it. Say, hey, this is good. Oftentimes a teacher, they go down deep and they come up dry. And, and they, they're, so they're, cu they're caught up in the facts and arguments and, and validation, but they, they miss the spirit of the thing. He said, be fervent spirit, and then serving the Lord. Beautiful testimony there. Let's look at the next gift. And some of you, some of you, you resonate with what I'm telling you. You say, oh, man, I think I've got some profit in me. <laughs> That's okay. That's why God wired you. And maybe we're servants, and we can oftentimes make sure we have to be kindly affectionate one to another. We can't think that we're killing the big one and everyone else is just lazy. And then here's a teacher, keeping your fervency, keeping the service. Don't think because you're, you know things because pride can be an issue in servitude for sure. And we can find a few things. And, and, and the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, um, that knowledge puffeth up. One of the challenges about learning more things are thinking you know things as it becomes prideful. You'll be prideful. Sometimes you get, you've got younger people that will pick up on something that they feel like they have a corner on, and, they, and all of a sudden they become an authority on that matter. Oh, I know that. I know that. And they'll, they'll X out someone who is a genuine servant of Christ, who has given them 
of their lives just at the expense of someone else who they think they know that knows something more than they know and they and pride by the way pride, nothing blinds us quite like pride does and it eats us up on the inside young people today you've got you've got uh, videos and youtubes and all the stuff <coughs> better be careful be careful you'll become too big for your britches and you'll miss the opportunities that God has for you. And uh, I, I agree with that. I see it happen, and I've, it's nothing new. It's happened for all, it's happened since mankind. But uh, be careful about that, because it puffeth up, and that's, that is one of the challenges of that can be done. And oftentimes they become a critical. Sometimes teachers have a tendency, if you're not careful, if you're not filled with the Spirit of God. By the way, all this, every gift is precipitated by presenting yourself a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God reasonable service, not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think, understanding my role in the body of Christ, then I can operate my spiritual gift with the Holy Spirit's help. You try to do it on your own, you're going to mess up. You just take your own strengths and just do your own thing, you're going to find yourself being a detriment instead of a blessing. We find here that oftentimes they, the, the teacher can have a tendency, this is just some things that people have observed and I agree with it, is they have a tendency to, to really frown on practical application. They want to know, give me the meat. Just feed me. But if you start provoking them to do something, they don't like that idea. Okay? They're, they're glad to learn. They want to, I want to get deep in the Word. But they can, they're so deep that they can't, they, can't, they can't do the simple thing that God wants them to do. And they become very critical armchair quarterbacks sometimes if we're not careful. The next gift, real quickly, and we'll, we'll conclude with this, is exhortation. Exhortation is, is the, the it's, it's helping people. It's encouraging other people. It's instructing others. Let's look at the next verse, if we can, please, and we'll conclude with this this evening. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation, just a simple admonition. And this is the, these are a couple things that come to mind. I think Apostle Paul would probably be the best example of an exhorter. And, you know, he would say things like, till Christ be formed in you. He said, the more I, the more I love, the less I'm loved. He said, but if you need a nurse, I'll be your nurse. If you need a coach, I'll be your coach. If you need a dad, I'll be your dad. Whatever you need to get this, I want you to get it. And we see his passion especially. And by the way, exhorters usually are very good at discipleship. They're very good at helping people grow. And uh, we see this passage of Scripture here. If you're exhorting, I'll give you a couple. They're committed to spiritual growth. How about this? Let's real quickly look at this verse. Hold your place there. Go to Colossians 1, 28. Everyone, go to Colossians 1, 28. And I want you to read this verse out loud to me. You can see the heart of the Apostle Paul what he was thinking, how he thought about things. Colossians 1, verse number 28. Preston, would you look up uh, Galatians 4, 19? I'll have you read that momentarily. Colossians 1, 28, let's all read that together. Can we please? Are you ready? Colossians 1 and verse number 28. Ready? Begin. Whom we preach... Who do you think he cared about specifically in this verse? Every man. And what did he do for every man? What's, what's his purpose? He said, I'm going to preach to every man. I'm going to warn every man. I'm going to teach every man in all wisdom. Why? That we may present how many people? Every man how? What's another word for perfect? Complete. Mature. 
That was his passion. He said, look, I want every person to get the gospel. I want them to grow. I want them to keep on going. And this is a very essential part of the church of God. A church that does not have exhorters actively using their gifts is going to find themselves sitting around and disintegrating. If we don't reach and disciple other people, we'll die by attrition. I see Michael Fierro back here to my left. And Michael, I remember when Michael got saved and got baptized and discipled. And I love seeing him when he comes in on Sunday night. He needs to come a little bit more on Wednesday night. You pray for him about that. Just teasing Michael. I'm so proud of him. He came through a rescue mission. Now he has his own place to live. He has his own car. He's just in, in, but he's not forgotten where he learned about Jesus. And I'm glad for that. There's all kinds of people. Got him stand up here. I think of beautiful Miss Marcella and Julian here who come. From a long way, it's probably longer than most anyone comes here. It's a beautiful thing to see her get saved, get discipled, get baptized, and grow in the Lord and be faithful now. And, you know, we see that all over this auditorium. But that doesn't happen. They don't happen without exhorters. Somebody who will say, you know what, I'm going to teach them until they grow too. Listen to this verse real quickly in Galatians, would you please? 419. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. He says, my little children, guys, I, I, I got to see it when you were born again. He says, I travail in birth. And I'm going to keep working to till what? Till Christ be formed in you. There's a passion that comes to exhorter, people who work with people. And I'm going to tell you, if you have this strength, you need to use it. If you don't use it, they say you will lose it. But if God has made you with this strength, some of you are teachers that teach at City Baptist or Hammond Baptist or Housing. Many of you have this. Some of you, some of you teach, you just teach. If they get it, they get it. If they don't, they don't. And that's not the exhorter. The exhorter wants to make sure you get it. Wants to make sure you, you, you come out of that. Mamas need the gift of exhortation. It's important for them. And, you know, those who have the gift, they see the root problems. They see a way to make progress, how to help them grow. They, 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 um, they're very, they desire transparency. People who want people to grow, they want transparency. They, they will tell stories about themselves that like, really, I'm surprised you said that. Because if it will help you, they'll expose themselves to the transparency. They need that. They need it on both sides of the, of the table. Um, people who are exhorters, they, they like face-to-face -face meetings. Usually, exhorters are not really crazy about Zoom meetings. They don't, they don't like merging calls. Exhorters like to be able to sit, and they can sit and talk to them. I think Apostle Paul is that way. He, he, he referenced several times in his writings, and I, want, I desire to see your face. I want to see you face-to-face. I can't wait to get to you so I can impart some spiritual gift to you, to the church at Rome. He said, you know, this is all right. I'm writing this. It'll be helpful, but I can't wait to get to you so I can sit down with you and talk to you face to face. That's usually the exhorter. Now, the exhorter can have challenges, and I think there are several things. They oftentimes keep other people waiting. They can get some pride because of visual Results where they're, they're converts and they're doing that, kind of feel proud about that. That's something that we ought to be careful about. It can, be, it can surface. They oftentimes start a project prematurely. 
Sometimes they get so excited about getting, they're trying to get this project or that truck prematurely. And, the, and, and I think, too, that uh, they can treat people as projects, which is not necessarily what we need to do. We would do all those things for the glory of God and help of others. You see the, 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 the exhorter. Here's the admonition for the exhorter. Go to Romans chapter 12 again, if you would, please. And we'll conclude with this is our last verse we'll read tonight. Romans chapter number 12. And I want you to see what the exhorter admonition is, I believe, in context here. And it's verse number 12. Let's read it out loud together. Can we please? If you are working with people, you'll need these three things. Are you ready? Rejoicing, patient, continuing instant in. Anybody who works with people needs those three attributes. Rejoicing in what? Hope, okay? Exhorters don't see people for what they are. They see them for what they can be. The expectation of what they're going to do, not for who they are now, but what God can do in their heart. Hope is, it's a, it's a promise based upon a principle. It's a, it's a guarantee based upon God's revealed word. And a, an exhorter, when they're working with someone, they don't see them for what they are. They don't see them as a 14-year-old kid. They see them as a 28-year-old pastor. They don't see them as a, uh, they, they, they envision what they could be. They rejoice in hope. They don't see them as an alcoholic or a drug addict. They see them as someone who will be clean and pure and have a beautiful marriage, and they're going to they're gonna really be used of God one day. They don't see them run around in a miniskirt and think there's some flus. They see them as a pure, holy wife that one day is going to glorify God and, and experience God's blessings upon their life. They rejoice in the hope. But they have to be, number two, patient through what? Trials. Boy, raising children. It's easier to have a baby than to raise one. But raising children is frustrating. How many could put an amen to that? Oh, it's one step forward, two steps back sometimes. It's frustrating. It's challenging. You have to work them through problems. You get to hurt. They disappoint you. They make decisions that you... But you know, when you're raising God's kids... You gotta have patience. You gotta keep persevering through the trials that come. And then lastly, what's the third element? Rejoicing in hope, patient tribulation. What's the third one? Prayer. Continuing instant in. Boy, you gotta pray your way through that. I was speaking to a man this week, and he loves, he loves these these other young men that he loves very much, and it's killing him to see. That, uh, that they need help. I said, Pastor, what do I do? I said, we're going to pray our way through it. We're going to be patient through the trial. We're, we're, going to, we're going to rejoice in what God can do. We're going to love them now and rejoice what God can do. And we're going to pray our way through this thing. Be an instant in prayer. God has wired you. He's gifted you to do a work with him. And it may be prophecy, maybe a prophet. It might be a servant. It might be a teacher, it might be an exhorter, it might be a giver or an organizer or a ruler, or it might be a mercy giver. But whatever it is that God's given you, I want to encourage you to use it for God's glory and for the benefit of others. And if you, you have been gifted, let's get unwrapped and say, God, please help me to use my strengths for the glory of God and the good of others. Let's pray together, can we? Thank you for listening this evening. I want to challenge you. That's what our month is about challenging us to assimilate, to appreciate, to associate with others, challenging us to 
ask God, Lord, please use me. Please use me. 